Throughout my adult life, my focus has been on making the world a more beautiful place. Initially, I pursued this goal as a hairstylist, working on the external appearance of individuals to make them feel more beautiful. However, I wanted more, so I began to shift my focus to helping people make better choices and achieve greater beauty from within. As a transformational life coach, I specialize in helping you identify and change the limiting beliefs that may be holding you back. Join me each week as we discuss, interview, teach, and explore the fundamental principles of healthy relationships. Welcome to Conscious Conversations with Louisa. In today's episode of Conscious Conversations with Louisa, I'm speaking with James Dixon. Welcome, everyone. I am Louisa Yovanovitch, and I get to be your host, and I get to highlight the wonderful Superman. But what has been a tremendous gift is David Reed on his microphone sharing his bio with us. So, David, would you please do the honors? Yes, there really is a Superman, everybody. James Dixon, also known as Superman because he is for real, is a motivational speaker, author, and minister known for his high energy speaking engagements. He is the keynote speaker on Absolute Motivation YouTube channel and has worked with both Fortune 500 companies and professional sports organizations. 1.3 million subscribers have viewed his channel more than 110 million times. That is definitely something Superman would do and Superman is for real. So there you are, James and Louisa. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you. You are a pro at this and I'm so grateful to have you on. So James, I literally was blown away listening to you on stage. And the way I want to go through today is really have an opportunity to do it as a timeline because what happens is we get to see you on stage and everyone's like wow he's so amazing but everyone walks away going I don't know how he did it I didn't see the progress I don't know how it happens and that's great he could do it I don't know if I can so I want to make it to a way where we experience your life to how you ended up being able to be that superpower for the way you show up now so I would love to start with who was James before the very first time this part of you that registered something is off, something is wrong. Who was James when nothing was wrong and life is spectacular? Well, that's a, well first of all, let me say I'm honored to be here. I see you, Lynette. This is like a family reunion. I got everybody here, all these superheroes. And so I wanted to say, first of all, um, not only is it an honor, but man, I love all of you, man. I've seen many of you, uh, your work, I see you online. And so today I'm going to give you everything that I am, and I hope it encourages you. And so the question you ask me is, like, when everything was going right, you know, for me, I, I think I had the wrong mindset. I always believed that everything was wrong when in reality, every negative thing that I ever experienced was giving me the experiences, the place to be able to draw from. So by the time that you meet me, um, I could be authentic and just pour myself out. Whether I'm on stage, whether I'm in an interview, whether I'm on a podcast, every time, um, I just endeavor to be authentic and then impact lives. And so 
I, I can only say that I was a kid born with a disability that learned that that was actually my superpower. How old were you when the disability actually began and, and you felt like something is off? So I was three months old when I had my first surgery. But the norm for me was to always be in the hospital, always be in recovery. I wasn't allowed to play with other kids because I was always fresh with stitches. Uh, I, I never took a step in my life uh, until I was almost 12. And so my very first steps, rather than at nine months, was at 11 and a half. Um, and I just used to be watch other kids on the porch. And my greatest thrill was one time I begged my grandmother if I could find out what it was like to, to have put your foot in the grass. Because I had never seen that. I felt that experience. So I remember her carrying me, placing me in the yard. And I felt what grass felt like. And I thought that was so amazing. And um, that's that's the first time that I had really been off the porch, if you will. And then we went right back on. And I just used to long to do what other people have done. And then uh, at 11, they did the amputation. It would be the final surgery, 30, number 34 of my young life. I was disappointed to have it. And then later found out that was the best decision that had ever been made for me. So interesting, you said the the sentence, it, it was made for you, because that was, was your experience of life that people were making decisions for you and you weren't the one choosing how things go? Right. Well, my mom sat down with me in, at the Shriners Hospital for Children in Chicago, and she said, they want an amputate your leg, do you want that? And I said, no. My father uh, was there as well, and they both had to give consent for me to go through the surgery. They gave me the option of the choice, and I said no. So I thought that was the final decision. You see, I wouldn't have known you know, what an amputation would have done. I have only known that every surgery I've ever had didn't improve me. Every surgery I had caused more scar tissue. Every challenge that I had uh, faced, I seem to have failed because all I knew was that as soon as I heal, I went right back into surgery. As soon as I heal, back into surgery. And so when I woke up and my leg was gone, uh, there was no one there to comfort me, no one there to explain. And I had this thing called phantoms. That's where your limb is gone, but you still feel it. I tried to step out of bed when I woke up. And I fell over and opened the stitches and had to go back to be repaired. And, uh, it's very common. But I could not stop the foot from itching, even though it was gone. And so that was a very traumatic thing to wake up and your leg is just gone. There was no adult there to explain. And I didn't know it was going to happen. Wow. So when did the into the room and when did the discussion of your leg is gone start well this is the one time i probably disappointed every adult because um i grabbed my pillow and i thought about that doctor as soon as he gets over here i'm gonna hit him and so i waited on him and as he got close i waited i whispered some and he's like how are you and i uh, and i went for him 
and then they buckled me down. <laughs> they tied me down. That was it. That was my one attempt at him. I was that close. But I wanted to do something to this guy. He just took my leg and then came in and asked me, how, like, how are you? How about that? Didn't we enjoy that? And uh, no, no, I didn't. I didn't enjoy that. Why, do, why did you do this? So wow. I, I didn't have that support system there, but a nurse was there to comfort me, at least, you know, so that kind of gave me some encouragement. So what was she saying to you? And I know your mom shifted that story a little bit. That's so right. Tell, tell so hear that. The nurse that was there, she was so encouraging, real nice lady. She's like, you'll be able to do everything every other kid has done. This is going to be so phenomenal. You're going to love the freedom that you have now. This is going to allow you to play sports. You'll be able to do everything. And as she was telling me that, my mom walks in. So she had finally made it there. And I guess her anticipation was that I wouldn't be up yet. But I would already been in trouble, tied down, and I was being encouraged. My mom walks in, and she's already perturbed the fact that she had heard I had misbehaved, if you will, towards the doctor. And I can't wait to tell her, Mom, guess what this guy just did? He took my leg. And um, But uh, she walks over and hears the nurse say, you'll be able to play sports. There's nothing you won't be able to do. And my mom got agitated and decided um, to correct the nurse and said, please don't fill my son with false hope. Don't give him that. And she looked at me and said, son, you'll never be able to do those things. You're a cripple, you understand? And so I looked back at the nurse to see what she would say. And because she was telling me I could do things, and I asked, I wanted her to tell my mom what she had told me. And so I looked at her, and my mom grabs my chin and says, look at me, I'm your mother. And she said, do you understand? You're a cripple. And I hesitated, so she slapped me. And she said, say it. And that's the moment I said, I'm a cripple. Every ounce of hope, every belief, everything that I thought I'd be able to do went away. There was no, uh, it took my grandmother to restore that belief until I could believe in myself. How long did it take from the time you, well, I have one more question before that. So when you said it to your mom, cause, and did you truly believe it when you said it? Cause I used my, when my parents used to say things to me, like, you're going to do it like this, I would say yes in front of them. But my little small voice was like, watch me. You know, I, there was a little small voice behind everything that even though I said it out of my mouth, what needed to be said, the little voice was like, yeah, right. So was there a little voice inside of you that was like, no, there's still a different way? Or did you no, really? That, no, no. When mom said it, it felt final. And uh, especially the sting of the slap. It was final. You know, like there was no coming back from that. I never experienced anything like that, and no one ever told me that. Grandma had never told me that. She told me I was Superman. I had always been uh, filled with this belief that I was someone going to become someone, and greatness was ahead from her. And now she's not there. My mom, my mom took the moment to be able to try to bring reality to me. And when she finished, uh, I was a little broken. My grandmother didn't drive, struggled with reading and writing. And but when uh, she called to see how I was doing, they said he's not doing well. She got on a Greyhound bus 
road from Indiana to Chicago, came in, forced her way in, and she restored hope in me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, she was my rescue. What did she say that that shifted? You can do all things. You're strong. You are capable. You're still Superman. She told me that I would be able to walk. I'd be able to run. I'd be able to speak to people. I would do great things that no one ever even imagined possible. And when she said it, it echoed. I hear her voice 20 years after she passed away today because of what she said and when she said it. That's so important. And I know that when you speak to people, that's the voice they end up hearing and knowing that they could see themselves with the way that you see them. As a matter of fact, we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago when we were saying um, that people's gifts are hidden from themselves. And so we have these gifts. And sometimes when we talk to other people, they see our gifts, whereas we don't see how absolutely precious and valuable we are. And I am so fascinated with how powerful you show up in the world and how the way you communicate leads someone to see themselves and what's possible for them. So your grandmother comes to visit you. You're, you're restored. You're happy. You're feeling different. What, um, what happens next? Well, we're living in, 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 in near Chicago and Evanston. And I beg and persuade my mom, let me go back live with grandma, please. Every day, that's all I ever wanted. Uh, let me go back. I didn't want to live apart from her because that was my rescue. That was my uh, reason. I just, I was like, grandma lives by herself. I tried to come up with a sales strategy. The great thing about moving back, mom, you wouldn't have to take me to school. You know, or just let me live with grandma. That she, She's not alone. And, and so... Uh, I go about almost a half a year and before I convinced her to let me move back to Indiana with grandma. And uh, I arrived to Indiana, man, I'm all finally walking, but not, but not easy because it's a wooden leg. It's not the lightweight carbon fiber of today. It's 25 pounds. It's uh, they add notches to it based to add height as you grow and anticipate so sometimes your spine is a little off and so your walk is off while they give it an extra inch anticipating growth children aren't given great prosthetics and so uh, when i arrived the kids in indiana the part of of anderson i lived in they decided the great new way to introduce themselves to the new kid was to beat me up and so they jumped me and yeah they just thought that uh having a wooden leg, let's find out if he can fight, try to pull it off. I went through so many different challenges in the inner city, but um, none of those things, uh, I think, deterred me. In fact, it it just made me realize that, uh, you know, I I think, uh, if anything, I'm like, I think I need to avoid these people. I made sure I go, hey, Grandma, what about, uh, there's a school that's a little further away that's better. They ended up changing the address uh, so I could go to a better school so I wouldn't have to be around some of the guys that were negative. And I think that's the way it is in life sometimes. You have to separate yourself from people that are crabs in the bucket that would try to pull you down to a negative place. 
so that you can be around people who are more like your tribe and find other kids and other people that can see that there's something precious or valuable about you it, instead of looking at you as you're weird, different, or disabled. Wow. That must have been, you know, I know that children go through it, and but most don't share what it's like. So to hear it of what it really feels like is is hard to to kind of take in. At what point? I know that you actually played sports and went and that became a big part of your life. What was that like knowing that you're playing sports and you have a wooden leg? Yeah. So the um, in Indiana, basketball was everything. If a kid was a basketball star, he was a mini god. And so I decided I wanted to play basketball because I wanted to use it to prove I'm just as good as you. I'm just as strong. Everything grandma told me, I wanted to put it to the test. And so um, I would watch basketball games uh, for rehab. My grandmother bought me a trampoline and I'd bounce on it all night, work on my vertical. Uh, she bought me a weight set, Hulk Hogan weight set. I'd be lifting and man, listen, saying my vitamins, flexing. You know, all those things, right? And uh, tried out for basketball team, and I didn't make it. And so I asked the coach at the end of it. I said, Coach Darna, what did I do wrong? And he said, James, you need to work on your lateral movement. If it wasn't for your lateral movement, and you didn't run the mile in under six minutes. If you had done that. So I looked up, and there was a billboard that said Wendy's one mile away. So I got up every morning at 4 a.m starting my freshman year, and I ran and I would touch the building, and then I'd run back home in time to get ready for school. So I'd do two miles. I worked on my lateral movement. I found out that there was a guy named Ray Tolbert. He was Mr. Indiana. He played at IU, played for the Lakers, and his mother attended our church. And so I asked her if he would teach me basketball, and she said he would. And so here comes an NBA player. He takes me to the Wilson Boys Club, and he taught me different post moves. So I was like, finally. Now I've got some superpower. I've got some things. There's some things that we're going to do, and uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, make the team. And so I try out again the next year, and I don't make it. I'm frustrated. And I was like, what did I do wrong this time? But the coach is not there. He left a note with everyone who had made the team listed without me. And that absentee, uh, that my name being absent of that list, was enough to ignite another fire. Because I was like, next year, they're not going to deny me. You know, I'm going to become back bigger, stronger, better. And so I learned that it was, uh, it was there that was building that resiliency, that desire. And um, I learned to play with a lot more passion and intensity. The very next year, I try out again. This time, I'm 6'3 or so at the time, but I'm about 200 pounds. And the rest of the kids are like 160, 175, you know, that type of thing. And uh, I'm developing into uh, a force, but I'm forcing my way into that. And so the tryout comes up. And guys, um, I've worked every day for this day. And I've been running every day. I've been lifting. I've got this condition. I've got the stamina. Uh, man, I've grown. I am angry. 
I've learned discipline. I played against older men um, so that I learned how to play with tenacity and, and more of my head rather than just physicality. And during the trial, we have this thing called uh, suicide or death alley, where you run and you touch every line. Run, touch every line. All the kids are doing it, and at the end of every time they touch a line, they would grab the end of their shorts, bend over, be breathing heavy, but I put my hands on my hip in that Superman stance, and I would just stare at the coach. And I was breathing heavy like everyone else, but I refused to bend over and give because they were playing to make the team. I was playing so that he would acknowledge the fact that I was not a dribble. I'm not disabled. I'm fighting for something more. And so he says, run again. Because he doesn't want to stop. Coach Darner says, until everybody breaks, we run. And so we keep running. But I can't bend over. I won't give up. I keep my hands on my hip. And I've got tears in my eyes. I get my, my heart is full. I'm like, I'm not breaking. He says, again. So we go down. Fatigue and me not being careful with the way I turned. The front of the prosthetic hits on the ground and it dislocates my kneecap. Now, I had never had any pain or anything happen since the time of my amputation. And so I'm laying on the ground and my knee is out. And I'm upset, I'm disappointed, I slap the ground, I'm yelling, and I was like, man, my leg gave out to me. And the coach walks over and says, you gave it a good try, James. Let's get an ambulance. And I was like, I can't quit, man, I can't. I can't give up. I was like, Coach, please don't call. And he was like, that's it, kid. You tried. So I grabbed the back of my prosthetic and I pull it forward and it pops the knee back in. I go, I remember feeling drained, if you will, of like energy and how bad it hurt. And even now as I think about it, I grab my knee. I push it back in place and I get up. And the one thing that as an amputee I could always do is hop on one leg. And I refuse to quit. And so I get up, and they're like, hey, you don't have to do this. Stop. And I'm like, you're not, you're not cutting me. I hop. Then I start walking some with it. And then I finish it. And as I'm finishing, the rest of my teammates finish that last lap with me. You see, the one thing I couldn't do is stay down. The one thing I wouldn't do is live with the regret of what would have been. I'm not suggesting advocating that you push your knee back in, guys, but I can tell you, you can push your life back in. Whatever it is, we make mistakes, whatever hardships we go through, it also must go through us. Wow. Wow. I mean, when you hear this, everything else becomes doable, easy, peaceful, like, you know, it's so relative. And then was there anyone in your life that was inspiring you that you saw this beingness in them that you were like, I know that this is possible because I saw it in someone else, or you really just were born with this drive of like, I got this. No, no, I I really have to say, I saw grandma in such a, a different light, you know, for a woman to have endured 
many things as she did. She lives in a time where um, racism was real for her. And she would clean houses of people and she would save money. She would buy a home. She would fix the home up and then she would rent the home out. But she would use a white officer named James Smith. James Smith would pretend to be the landlord, but my grandmother owned it. White people would rent from her and she offered as a service it came with the home that once a month she'd come in and clean, but it would allow her to see how they were taking care of her property. And they would also give her tips to take care of that property. And then by the time I was probably a teenager, grandma owned about 40 homes. And so uh, when she passed away, I inherited three of those homes. All of our grand, all the grandchildren got a home. Everything she did, she was well ahead of her time. They underestimated that that lady that was cleaning their floors was just a maid, but she was the she was the owner. Wow! Wow! Now I see where the fire came from. <laughs> yeah! Wow! So, one of my favorite stories that you know lit me up was your 5k <laughs> can we talk about your 5k <laughs> we can we can I, well, I tell you what the fact that i didn't know what it was i had been training lifting i uh, felt powerful strong i've been encouraging people online and i was like amputees you can do everything you can survive you can you've overcome you're already a superhero and so a lady reaches out to me. She worked for a company called Indigo. They're the, the bus riding system in Indiana. And she had been hit by a, hit, uh, by a drunk driver who hit her, ran, left her for dead, even came and pushed her into the ditch. And she survived that. She's an above-the-knee amputee. but She wasn't going to be strong enough to run in the marathon she did every year. So when she reached out and said, would you push me in the event? So... I was like, sure, I'll do it, you know. And uh, for some reason, I thought she said 5K. So I didn't know how far that was because I don't run. Anyone that knows people that power lift or lift, you know, not all of us are as strong as a David Reed. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put this work in. And, uh, you know, but I'm not going to run, no cardio. And so uh, when they said 5K, I asked the guy at work, and I figured he's skinny. He looks like he runs. Hey, how far is 5K? And he said, uh, three miles. And I'm like, oh, I can do three miles, man. I'm not even. So, yeah, I'm doing a, my first 5K. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's not bad. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do that, three miles. I do at least three miles no matter what, you know, just here at work on the steps and stuff. So, yeah, I'm good. I don't need to train for that stuff. In fact, I'm going to win this race. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to win this one. And uh, I'm going to do it for her. It's just three miles. So on the way to the race, um, then following next day, I went to, I might have even gone to Walmart and I bought a $29 pair of running shoes because I didn't own any. All my shoes were lifting shoes. But I didn't need an expensive shoes. It's just freaking three miles. So I put the shoes on 
I wanted to make sure I matched up. So I had on the indigo shirt. I cut off the sleeves because if the sun's up, the guns come out. So I'm feeling good. I can, but I put black uh, uh, compression shirt under it with the black shorts, black shoes. I had that, you know, I had to be matching. I had the black hat. I had the head set. I'm good to go. I even have my chain on. I get out there and I tell my sons, I'm about to win this thing. And they're like, yeah, daddy's got this thing. I'm looking around. I was like, yeah, I got this. And uh, insurance reasons, they said I couldn't push her. So I made sure I let her know I got this for us. And there are 34 other amputees that showed up and support. And they're like, yeah, James. So I was like, I got us on this, man. I'm about to take off. They underestimate us. I'm really hyped about it. And uh, so I'm standing there and I see this guy with a tattoo that has an IM. I was like, man, what is that at four? Like that. And he goes, Iron Man. And I'm like, well, why, why, why would an Iron Man show up for a 5K? It didn't make sense. Because I'm thinking this guy might beat me. Because, of course, he's a professional. You know, that's different. So he was like, yeah, no, it's a full marathon. I was like, oh, okay, it's like two races. We go to a 5K. And then, and he was like, no, 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 I don't know anything about a 5K. So the lady's name is Teresa. I looked up. So she's the one heading this thing up. So I go over to her. I said, hey, real quick, uh, there's a 5K and then there's the marathon, right? And she's like, no, there is no 5K. And I said, with, uh, like, right, but this, the part I'm in. Is, a, is the 5K, right? And she was like, there is no 5K. And I was like, oh. So I'm about to explain to her. So listen, all right, so I lift weights. I lift heavy stuff. I put the stuff down. I'm, I only came for her. I was going to, you know, uh, represent, you know, positive stuff. You know, I'm trying to explain that. She's like, get ready, James. We're so excited to have you. And she got the mic on and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm, so now my strategy changed. And so you guys are going to like this. Joseph, listen, this is what I decided. I'm going to get out running in front of everybody. I'm going to take off on a sprint. And then when we get around the corner, I'm going to dip out. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. This is over. And, uh, well, I couldn't do that because – Everywhere I turned, there was an amputee there. There were people there like, you can do it, James. And I was like, well, I'm going to quit because it started to rain. And then I was like, then it stopped raining. Then I'm like, I'm about to quit because my sides start hurting. This chest is. And then all of a sudden, man, I, I, my thighs are rubbing together. And I was like, I've never had that happen before. And, um, and I didn't know that would happen. And then, one uh, way, best way I can say, my nipples started to get sore because from the shirt rubbing back and forth, and I, I, I didn't know that that could even happen, and it was hot out there. So when they were putting suntan stuff on, I was like, ah, I don't need it. Black people don't, we don't get, we don't sunburn because I'd never been out in the sun, so I didn't know that that was a lie, um, and so. I've tried to quit so many times and every time and then my right run, I said, I, I'm quitting no matter what I'm quitting this thing because I don't even know where you pee at. You know what I mean? There's no one explained any of these rules. Well, my 12 year old at the time runs beside me and he's like, let's go Dada." And I was like, man, this kid is agitating me. And, but I've always said, never give up. 
never quit, never throw in the towel. And he's like, let's go, let's win. And I was like, you know, I want to explain to him, you know, when I was saying that, that was on a 5K. This is a lot of miles. And so sometimes it's okay to, that's what I was wanting to get it. So I did, but he wouldn't stop. He kept going and he's turning around, running backwards beside me. Let's go, let's go. And I was like, hey, I'm going to give you money if you catch the kid in front. If you get in front, I give you $100. Catch the guy in front because I need to get rid of him so that I can quit without pressure from a freaking 12-year-old. But no, he decided he'd rather run beside me than get $100. Bad economics, you know what I mean? So anyway, I noticed something about halfway through my right leg which had always been the thing to stop me, wasn't hurting. You see, I got an upgraded prosthetic. It was only about six pounds instead of 25. It had energy return. It was carbon fiber. And I didn't feel any pain on that side. All I felt was my thighs rubbing together. All I felt was soreness on different stuff and hot. Um, but I ended up finishing. And it was the most emotional, rewarding thing I'd ever done. Because, not because I didn't quit. It was because for the first time I felt fatigued in my sound leg, my good leg, my only leg. And I never felt that before. And I felt limitless. And so with everyone cheering me on, I sprinted to the end, and it was like, it didn't matter about winning, it didn't, any of that stuff. It was that I won something inside. Then I got into the car with my trophy, and I took that leg off like some of you know, like popping that bra off at the end of the day. I took that leg off. Man, I was like, whew. That felt so good. And then I used up all my vacation time at work because I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. I couldn't explain this. My shoulders peeling and stuff. I was like, what is this? So I learned a lot of things that day. But I learned one thing. Is that without training, without understanding, that you can get to a point where you could quit. But people encouraging you on the way. Responsibility, accountability can keep you going. Oh. Your mute is on, Joseph. I can't hear you, Joe. I love Joe. Take your mute off. Okay. No, I say, don't forget to ask the right questions before you start the next time. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Which way are we supposed to go? That way. <laughs> With the whole 26 miles. So, I'm going to ask one more question because I do know, and then I'm going to open it up to everyone else having an opportunity to get to know you, but you have, you had a job where there was a, like, it's what we're all supposed to do, right? We're like supposed to go get a job. What was that like? And the day you walked out of that to start your life, because there was a huge shift from I'm working to I'm going to follow my mission, my my purpose in life. So can you walk us through that? 
Well, you know, quitting my job was big time because in order to get that job, you had to be referred in by someone on the job. And I was third generation. My mom had put in 38 years, my grandfather 44 years. My grandmother had worked there for a few years herself. So I was third generation on that job. And the only way to get in is that someone had to put you in. And so for me to quit was to say goodbye to a generational attachment. And so it was emotional because I had put in four years as a temp at this job. They didn't hire me until the end of that fourth year. And then when I finally got full pay and I got into leadership, I'd worked hard and I'd been on the same job, but every day was the same day. I was guaranteed six-figure income for the rest of my life working there, but I also was guaranteed to stop growing. You see, that check was, was a handcuffs for me. It was offering me the ability to give up on every other dream, every other thing, and it was, it was okay because I was making six figures. That number that everyone said is, you cross that Mendoza line, you're in the top percentage of the earners, you became someone, therefore you're good. You're in leadership, so you can you have a title. So psychic income, uh, income bonuses, all those things, it's easy. You don't have to put in any work. I didn't have to talk to many people. I was already productive. I was successful. My team loved me. But I plateaued. You see, no, whether I put in extra time or whatever, I was going to get the same pay. Whether I worked hard or I didn't because of the type of job it was, there was no more reward. But I felt this calling, this thing of being chosen to do something different. And absolute motivation has already taken off. I've got income coming in. And I had to break free from the idea of that. What if what if this thing fails? What if I can't come back? What if I'm making a mistake? But I decided the only way for me to do that is to go ahead and burn this bridge. And so I wore a suit to work. And that work was... They did brake lines. They built trucks and all that stuff. So I wore my suit to work. And when I arrived there, I walked in to say goodbye to everyone. No notice. And I walked out of there. Tears in my eyes because of the attachment and the separation from it. Because I was saying goodbye to the endorsement of my family. And I stepped out. And now... It was the best decision I ever made. What was the game plan like? I walked out, and is there a game plan, or is this like, how, how did you take? I had, yeah, I had some security in the fact that I was already generating some great stuff with absolute motivation, but it it wasn't enough. It was going to be a cut. It was going to be a loss. There was no way. I was going to be losing money. I was going to be losing benefits, all those things. But I wanted to bet on me. I figured if I went at this full time, if I committed myself to it, I'd had crumbs or uh, glimpses of what was possible. But I needed to step out on faith with this thing. The only thing I knew is that when I was doing the thing that I'm called to do, I felt amazing. I felt alive. 
And when I did the thing that I could do, every day was the same. There was no drive. Mm. That's, I love that you related it to how we feel because I believe everybody could relate to that. Like, what do you feel like in your body when you're doing this versus this? Wow. So I have a question that I ask everybody because everyone always asks me, how do you know so many amazing people and how do you get them to say yes and, and to be on? And so what had you say yes to me to being on today? One, it's the, it's the flow of energy and purpose. When there are people you'll meet and they're magnets, right? And you realize that they carry a spark of divinity in them that impacts you and you can impact them. And like minds will collect, you know? And as uh, the one thing everyone knows about you is not only your wit, your intelligence, but also your energy. And there are things you just say off the cuff as you talked about in, uh, when you were doing the intro, that sometimes we are blind to our own gifts. And your gifts, you know, you may not always see, but they're enough for us to see that it's easy to say yes to someone that is an impactful as you. Thank you. That was beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, brother. It really, like, when, when energy is like that, your exact words is collide. It, it does create the sparks of the magic that gets to take over from there. And that's exactly what it felt like when I met you and I heard you on stage and I was like, oh, yes. And, you know, when we have had our phone conversations, it's like being in the flow. You know, when yeah. you're in the flow and you're creating and all of a sudden you, you just wish the whole entire conversation was recorded because it's just energy that's just flowing I love my conversations with you because it's just magic. So I am so grateful to who you are, your persistence, your your dedication, your devotion, your Superman, your superpowers. I am so grateful for you because I watch you just every single day powerfully. <laughs> a different life. I appreciate it. You know, I, I tell you, not only am I honored, and, and I, I appreciate the encouragement. I mean, but in this room, your mastermind, even though it says uh, Greg Reed's mastermind, you know, you've got some powerhouses. Lynette is like probably one of the most high IQ people on earth and very humble with it. David Reed, although he looks like Tom Arnold, is just the most talented DJ attorney of all time. Joseph, man, you are just positive. Just everybody that I've met on here, whenever we interacted, when we met at the knock, man, you guys carry such a positive aspect to you. And I love the fact that you're gathering together for greatness. Louisa, you bring that out of us, and I appreciate you for it. Thank you. I am like, I'm so honored to do it because really when you, when I think of the part of me that is not going to stop, you know how you were saying even if you didn't make it, you were like, oh, I'm making it. That's that's the part of me that's just not, it's relentless. It's not, I can't not do it. And so my favorite part is, is when we show up and then other people see where it started, they're like, if they could do it, I could do it. 
And, and I love the journey of seeing like the very first person I ever asked to share on my mastermind was the huge influencer with like the head judge of dancing with the stars who in the right mind asks the head judge from dancing with the stars to be their first interview. I did. <laughs> and she said, yeah. So I'm like, well, she trusts me. I, tr- I trust me. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and you say yes. And, and people say yes. And then I realized, oh my God, it really is because we get to highlight each other. Who doesn't want to be in a world where they're feeling seen, heard, highlighted, contributing? So who would say no to that? And so when right. I'm like, how did you get someone to say yes? I'm like, I asked. <laughs> that's, <laughs> so, that's the key. That's the key right there, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so I, and one of the things I know that David Reed has his hand up, but this is a, an important one. Being a female, your wife, did you guys talk about, hey, like, I'm going to go and leave my job and start this whole new career? Are we really <laughs> no. doing, like we have children? Let me tell you something. That's the that was the challenge at that very moment was the most difficult aspect of my life because Years ago, and during that time, we went our separate paths because of trial, tribulation, life injuries gets in the way. And so everything was going against me, but I still had to bet on me. And I think that's the thing. If I had waited for affirmations, they wouldn't have come. The best way that other people know you is in the safety of it. Anything that threatens their safety, they often will tell you no. But when you're sitting there and you're like, man, I have waited on other people. I've been waiting for validation. I've been waiting for affirmation. And if I keep waiting on that, it'll never come. Other people will give you opinions. Rare will you find people who can consult you. And so when you do, you find a coach like you, somebody that affirms you, tells you that you have the talent, the gifts, and then gives you the tools and tells you how to sharpen. That's different. I walked out because I had spent years harnessing my gifts, my talents, my abilities. And I had seen what can happen when I would speak. I knew the impact. And so I'd bet on me. We all bet on you because you're awesome. Thank you. I am now going to say, David, please ask your question. I'm sorry it took up all no, of it. Why would you be sorry? Everything that was being said led up to everything that everybody is getting. And you know how yeah. James knows how much he inspires people and me and everybody else that he comes across on a daily basis. My question, I have a, a comment later, but a question for now. I want to know, I know you, you talked about your grandmother and what she meant to you back then in that part of your life, but on, on a daily basis, what motivates you? What inspires you every day? Other than, you know, all the coaches that you see, what do you look to? And in your morning routine, what is it that you wake up to and want to feel? And what, who is that or what is that in your life today? It would be like this. Let's say this, this is a, a socket. It fits my prosthetic. It has a Superman symbol on it, right? Mm-hmm. And Let's say this is like an hourglass. I feel like I wasted so many years waiting on an outside affirmation. And so then all of a sudden, I came to the point where things turned around and I saw 
there's still time. And so every day I get up and I don't think about the time I wasted. I think about the time I have left and what I can do in it. When I lay in bed at night, sometimes I have mental traffic. And that mental traffic, I end up dividing and trying to orchestrate it in such a way of like, I need to go to the gym to focus on my health so I'm here for the future. I also use it as a way of getting rid of all the stress and things I take in as an empath. But then I also think about all the things I need to be available. And then new ideas come to me. And, and I, I, I get up and I'm like, I'm going to chase it down. I really do wake up enthusiastic about what I get to do. I don't put on a performance. I'm not telling you something that is not a part of my core. I'm telling you every day I get up with the idea of like, it's time. I'm not waiting for a coach to put me in the game. I came to take over. I'm in the game. Huge. Thank you. How many people actually relate to that? Like, I want to see, because I literally, it's like you choose yourself. At some point, you're like, you know, if, if first you're looking, there's a team captain and you're waiting to see who's going to choose you. At some point, you're like, I'll be the team captain and I'm choosing me. Yeah. Well, you know what I was yeah, thinking? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of James the other day. You know, I was Zion Clark, who I know you know, and and he's huge. And the mindset that he has, and he was just on HBO this past week, and I just the the mindset that you have and the mindset that people that inspire people that may have had something had happened to them, some sort of disability, whatever it is. But look at that gentleman. Nothing in his mind tells him or anybody around him that he has anything less than stellar or worse or can't do anything that everybody else does. And he's proving on a daily basis. And that man has no legs. Okay. That's right. And, and, and it's absolutely amazing. So the mindset that the similarities and the inspiration that I see him and I see you and other people that I, that I am in awe of, I'm just, um, you know, there's no excuses for anybody else out there. It really isn't. It's fascinating to me to think about like you could have everything handed to you and still not be able to have the mindset that says you could do it. I have a client who her father paid for her college. She's gorgeous. She's educated. She has absolutely every reason to succeed. I was talking to her about buying a house and she goes, oh, I can't afford a house. I'd never be able to buy a house. I'm like, why not? I just can't understand. I can't wrap my brain around why not. You know, there's no reason why I would ever tell myself I can't buy a house. But, you know, it's it's not only in a disability that someone says, I can't do something. Just the limited belief of like, I can't, leaves it with done. Living your life with a governor on. Mm-hmm. It's a limiting self-belief. It's self-sabotaging habits that we have. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen people that get into relationships even and they will sabotage it because they're afraid of what is going to be pulled out of them. They purposely do things to alienate or to bail. They parachute out when it's still on the climb. It's not time yet. It's safe to jump out when the plane hasn't taken off. We haven't gone anywhere yet. And so what I'm saying is this is that we have to have the governors taken off. The limiting self-belief, she said, I will never own a house. You are absolutely right. You won't because you believe it. Right. Doesn't mean it's not capable. I've had to 
believe when someone says um, you can make a million dollars. I was like, wow, that seemed impossible. But then your mind changes and you realize, no, 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 a million isn't impossible. It's reality. It's whatever I go after. And it's not the dollar mark. It's taking your, your passion and your purpose and allowing profit to line up with it and getting rid of that self-guilt that you're not supposed to be wealthy or that to be wealthy is to be bad or the rich people must be bad or they're the evil ones. No, no, no. No, that. I've been poor. I know it's much better to not be poor. Yes and yes. That's right. Anyone else want to share? Well, I was just going to say that um, so many of us walk around with our phantom limb loss. So it may not present in the physical body, but there's other ways in, in which it's holding us back, um, you know, and so that's that can be just as damaging than actually having a physical you know, disability is it's like what's holding us back here and what we're holding on to in the past and what we allow other people to uh, put the reins on our dreams. So that's just like this, that phantom limb loss. Mm. You know, here's the one thing about phantom limb loss. One of the great therapies for it, and Lucy, you'll love this, is that if you take a mirror and you place a mirror in front of the person who's lost the limb, if you're a right side amputee, you place the mirror facing your left leg and then you lean your head over to the left. When you look in the mirror, the reflection re restores the lost limb. Where it's itching, where it's hurting, you touch the leg that's there. In the image, you see the right leg reappear and all of a sudden, the pain disappears because the mind saw it receive relief. It's back. The phantom stops. It allows us to realize that this is a mental thing. That if you can look in the mirror and convince that person there that you are more than the sum of your parts, whether it's someone separates themselves from you, a job is lost, you've had failed ventures, Failing is really just an opportunity to grow and learn. There is nothing phenomenal about a person that never faced the challenge. You need those challenges because whatever you face faces you. If you go through something, you become something. Yes, and yes. It's, it's so powerful to think about like when you... Put yourself, like I shared last week about sustainability and about how I had been care doing these masterminds and starting to ask for people to contribute. And someone called me up and said, you know what, Louisa, what I'll do is I will um, be like a plant in the audience and I'll thank you for all of the things that you do in here. And it'll, it'll my contribution will be that I will rave about you. I'm like, if you have been showing up for the last year and you are not raving about me unless you're going to do it this way, please do not attend my mastermind. <laughs> like, you're yeah, not yeah. already seeing the value in here and the value is going to be towards you pretending that this is great. I'm like, please do not attend. 
Because the reality is, is like when we step into our superpowers, our self-worth, our how much we matter, we do not behave in those ways. And for me, and one of the things I've been working on for me is self-love and and really self-worth. So to show up here powerfully each and every time and and to create this space is really just me doing it to hold that space for everybody, not just for me, because it's like, that's really what I've been seeing is the, the self-worth, self-love. Once we can step into that space, the things that we get to do in life are so much more powerful. And when I heard you share the... Um, the marathon story, I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. But I had to check in with myself. I really did because the truth is I really wanted to run a marathon for my ego. I wanted to do it to lose weight. I wanted to do it because I wanted to show off. I wanted you to show me off, honestly. I was like, look, James will like talk about me running a marathon. And the truth was, it was so inauthentic. And I was like, I literally had to check in with myself to why I wanted to run the marathon. And sometimes we do certain, like, I'm not a heavy girl, but when I gain a couple pounds, someone who's a little heavier than me have said to me, I just want to punch you in the face when you talk about your weight. And so <laughs> it's, you know, the phantom leg thing, like I, I, we, we create our own issues, you know, like I, we, we make issues up. And so it, it blocks us from being able to be the superpowers, the superheroes on stage when it's like filtered with all the BS. So I literally, I share everything that's in my heart and how it shows up for me, because then I hope that it creates space for people to show up authentically to like, what stops you from showing up? And, you know, one of the other things was this fear that I had about speaking on stage. I literally was about to speak on stage and I was terrified. And the entire time I'm like, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. But then I got on the stage, got the microphone on, got the entire thing going, had so much fun. I was so in the moment, had a blast. A week later, I'm like cleaning my house and went, oh my God, I forgot to be scared. I literally forgot to be scared because when I was in the moment, I was having so much fun. Yeah. I didn't, I just thought I was going to be scared, but I wasn't. And so when I see you on stage and how comfortable you are and how you own the room and how like everybody's loving you and I'm like, I can't do that. Well, why not? And that's one of the things that I said to you, like, how did you end up being able to be the you now? And you said, yes, this is what you've been building up to. But the very first time you were on stage, were you a little scared? Well, no, <laughs> but this is why though. The very first time, there was only six people in the audience. You see, it was not threatening. But what I didn't realize, the six people had influence over thousands. They were all C-level people. I didn't know that. They were just six people sitting in the seats. And so I was a little disappointed, not afraid. I was like, well, I thought this guy invited me to speak to some people. Right? And it was like, you just six of them. And one of them's on their phone. Right. And so when I started talking and all of a sudden there's a shift in the room, there's a transfer of energy, a purpose. And by the time that I left there, I had national speaking opportunities because those six people had that much of an influence. They ran regions. They ran the company. One of them was the vice president of the, was the president of the Americas 
for a foreign a company that's in Iceland. And I didn't know their, their reach or their influence. And so we go to Pittsburgh and I do their national sales event. That's, I went from those six people to about 1,400 people, I think. And the uh, next time I was out, and then I did the Pittsburgh Steelers because we were in the same hotel and someone heard me when I was speaking to the 1400. And so they invited me to go over and prompt to because the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers were there and there's, this was the same hotel. So they invited me over and I get to go on the field. And now that six people opened up the door for me to have a large presence in a big place with the same message and then giving that message opened up the door for me to speak to an NFL team. And I was building my resume off of hitting resume on my purpose. Same word, different meaning. Anyone else want to? Joe? Well, it's just a very inspiring, seemed like a great guy. Like I, you know, really like to hang out with you and, uh, I congratulate you on being who you are. Thank and you, Marjorie. It's very, very inspiring. You got a lot of power coming out, and I really, really enjoyed it. Feel powerful just being with you. He does do that. Like, you, you know, there are certain people that you're just energized being around. You're definitely one of them. Are you, the, free, the level of like high energy of I could do anything in the world just comes out of your pores but it's also so natural you know it's like i believe everything that he's he's presenting that he really went through it and he is who he is he says he is you know he's not absolutely it's it's cool thank, thank you, you garrett do you want to share i know you're new here but i have a tendency of picking on people Oh my God, I hate being put on the spot, but no, I'm just second everything Joe said. And I, uh, one thing that really stuck with me was the hourglass and just that it's all mental and just, I mean, I, I was also just, um, the suicide story really hit me too. Cause I used to play basketball and that, that was really, that just really hit me that I don't, I don't know. I, don't put me, you put me on the spot, Louisa. I'm, I love you. dearly. sorry, but I love what you're sharing. I know. And I, what's it called? Do you put me on the spot? But um, I just really thank you for your time and your, it's, <laughs> I feel empowered by your words. Thank, so. you, my, thank you, my friend. Yeah. And I want to tell you something, being put on the spot is a great thing because it pulled you out of comfort zone. Totally. You I, have have a- Zoom, I have Zoom PTSD too, because I'm a call. I was in college during Zoom. So just, you put me on the spot, but. You did get that. Yeah. But I want <laughs> you to know that you have something to offer. You have a gift. And, you know, that, that insecurity that we end up having, like being put on the spot and all those things, I want you to know that, man, you've got something great in you, brother. Let it out. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And I've had Joe that really has seen that in me. So, and he's introducing yeah. you guys. So I really appreciate it. Joe sees that in very few people, actually. So if he sees it in you, it means something. Wow. Well, that means a lot. Actually, I really he sees it in a lot of people. Well. I know. Well, <laughs> He has that quality too to make you feel like you can do anything. He does. So, yeah, absolutely. I love my Joe. And Garrett, 
Superman's absolutely right. You have something very special. I don't really just pick on people. I, I was called to make <laughs> I really was. There was something <laughs> so special about you that I knew the room needed to hear your voice. And well, so you are ma- magnificent. And please keep showing up because you really have something to contribute. Will do. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. So I do have something uh, I wanted to say. First of all, thank you. It's been very uplifting to listen to your story and everything else. I love to do stuff like choosing your yourself and everything like what you said but my question is being so positive and always being there for yourself sometimes does bring on like a mental fatigue at times what do you do for yourself if does that ever happen to you or what do you do to care for yourself that's a great question you know what i go back and I've outlived my dream, right? And so I'm constantly in this state of now, it's time to dream bigger. I'm enjoying, it's like fishing for me right now. Every day there's something new. Someone, there's people offering me equity in companies now. There's uh, people like bringing me products. There are things that are happening, offers there. I went from trying to pay for a book to being offered book deals that name, I am living in such a flow that I guess I don't feel that fatigue. I feel more of shock that that I didn't dare to dream bigger, right? And that um, that my calling is bigger than what I heard. And so, uh, so when I do get down, when things don't go right, um, it's short lived for me only because. I go back and I go into that sanctuary. For me, that's the gym late at night when everyone else is sleeping. I'm in there working on me and I'm pushing myself and I get this drown out. I turn the music up. And for me, I put a song on repeat. Um, I do the same thing, by the way. I do the same exact thing. Yes. And for me, it's that I get that anthem in me. I get that thing going. I believe that anything's possible. I I start believing that, uh, and I go over my own history sometimes, the things that I've overcome so far. And then I think about the fact that I, I'm not trying to force myself to stay hungry. I'm, I'm trying to leave such a dent on the earth that when I go, it won't go quietly. So I hope you hear me. I'm not trying to give you a cliche. I'm telling you that I do get down, but when I'm down, I put in work and I push myself to get rid of that. You know, I don't have time to leave. I I used to let my mom's words live rent free in my mind. And it took me forever to get that eviction notice. And now that that space is back, I have it. Man, I can't, I can't allow something to move in there and stay. Not without it paying me. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a that's an excellent way to put it. Yeah, I was just wondering because I what you said about the music or I'll put on a five minute meditation or I'll go for a jog or something. So I'm on the right path. Okay, good. There you go. <laughs> BJ, can we get to hear from you? I love BJ, by the way. This man is superpower too. You're on mute, BJ. We 
Yeah. Not yet. Still on mute. Oh, phone's gone. Phone's back. Nope, different button. There we go. Uh, I was diagnosed with Parkinson eight years ago, and uh, my James Dixon was uh, Inky Johnson uh, out of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And I just uh, wrote him and his 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 impactful statements he made. But uh, tonight, I'm just in awe of, uh, of you and uh, wish I had you back, back there in eight years ago. But uh, you just uh, – your presence, uh, just your – what's – the, 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 I hate to say it like this, the stuff that comes out of your mouth is just, uh, it's a godsend. And uh, and thank you for what you're doing. Uh, yeah, you're making a lot of money, but you're impacting so many people's lives. And uh, I just, I really appreciate it. BJ, thank you for those words, my friend. Thank you for who you are. When you talked about what Inky did, I also want to talk about what you did. You didn't allow Parkinson to stop you. You keep showing up. There's a message. There's a method. And my friend, you are phenomenal. I can see your sincerity even as you're talking to me. And I thank you for the way you're encouraging me. But I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank you, BJ. You, you, he is. Where did his thing go? Oh, there you go. It's just switched on my screen. I absolutely cherish this human being. He's such a superpower. And anyone who has been blessed enough to be in his space is so lucky. And I am so grateful for you, BJ. Thank you. Thank you. Tess. I want to hear from Tess. You know, I just love all of the people that come. I I got to talk to James at Secret Knock too, and I know he did this for a few people, but I still have the little message he recorded on my phone for inspiration. And I thought such a with everything that you've gone through, you inspire so many people. And I'm grateful that I was able to meet you in person. And I know I'll meet you in person again. But Michigan to California, well, you're Chicago though, aren't you? Well, I'm in Indiana today. I'll be in, uh, I'll be with Louisa coming up here in a few days. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to be coming all over the place. And then I'm coming to Lynette's neck of the woods after that. And then uh, off to New York. And uh, so I'm on tour. But soon enough, Tess, I'll see you. Yep, for sure. Because I I follow these guys, all you guys, everywhere you go. Isn't it like a bubble of bliss that it doesn't feel like like a bubble of bliss everybody talks about like life being so rough and you're like is it I'm just always surrounded by beautiful people and I say this all the time I get hugs kisses and money like people are like how life is just truly beautiful and and if it's not I'm like (laughs) bye-bye It's that simple, right? Like, how easy is it to, to be around beautiful human beings who are just happy to create with you and and be in this bubble bliss? And I'm like, and when, so when people are complaining, I'm like, am I living a whole different reality? Because I live in a bl- blissful land. I wake up, I have coffee, I go to do my hot yoga. You guys work out at night. I work out in the morning. And then I do clients and I 
I have coaching people and I literally like everybody's happy and getting results and living this joyful life. And I'm like, this is good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would tell you this, guys. The greatest revenue earner I have is not the YouTube, is not a speaking engagement. It's the one-on-one relationships. When I didn't have, when I came to Secret Knock, I didn't have an attorney. I didn't know what I was going to do about it. And there was one relationship that was established that God gave the talent to one particular person that laid it on their heart to say, I'll step in. And when I didn't have revenue, I had a relationship. And then the next thing I know, there were things that I didn't know. And I had a conversation with Lynette and found out that she's got like a superpower brain and stuff, you know, and they learn from there. Then I talk with each one of you guys and I get something. And then Louisa, she's like doing a million things, doing hair. I don't know what you don't do, but you do it all well. But each relationship is more precious than revenue. And as a result of how you take care of your relationships, revenue follows. It is, it is something that I've learned that the secret, like, um, and to borrow from this from Job, after losing absolutely everything, the restoration of him was not just his faith. His restoration came from every one of his friends coming and putting money in his hand. You see, the relationships pays dividends. We're not here to uh, pr profit off of each other, try to use one another. We're here to promote one another. And we all rise together. Exactly. And it's that co-collaboration, co-creation. You know, when we think about, I can't imagine any of us doing this alone, right? Like how much right. fun would it be to do any of this alone? If I hopped onto my Zoom and looked at myself, I'd get pretty bored. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that we get to play together all the time. I am physically moved every time we are, we complete this. It energizes me to a whole new level that I get to then turn around and, and play with so many other people and impact their lives just because I got my life filled in here. And every single time I talk to you on the phone and I talk to all of you guys, I'm so moved that you can't help but energetically do everything else you want to do. And it's all energy. You know, when you get the energy, all of a sudden everything gets done. And I'm like, you know, people ask me how I prepare for these uh, masterminds. And I'm like, I take a nap. Everyone's like, what? <laughs> oh, I get take a nap. That's how I prepare for it. Because I'm. I wake up and I spend time with everybody. It's not, I don't come up with my questions in advance. I don't think of anything in advance. I, I take a nap. So I'm awake for when I get to play with y'all. <laughs> That's awesome. James, I swear to God, I just absolutely love you. I <laughs> love you. I love who you are. I love the difference you make. I love knowing that... I got to know you when, and oh my God, I'm so excited to watch what you are creating and, and really taking everybody with you. I'm so excited to be part of the journey that we're all on together. And it is magical what's being created. And it's, it's not one person, it's all of us. We're all really doing this together. 
I want to say this, to, and I hope each one of you hear me out on this, from the heart to the heart, okay? When I look at uh, what's possible and the more opportunities that come my way, the only thing that comes to mind is I want to take the whole team with us. If you're on this call, if you're in this collective, if you're in this mastermind, you have a rare space and you're not here by accident. You didn't get on a link because you were lucky if someone referred. This was a divine appointment. And I'm telling you that oftentimes I used to watch people get blessed and I wondered how they got that way. How do they get this opportunity? How do they get in that thing? And now that I'm in that position, I realize that all of us feed off of each other. We push each other. We learn from each other. And I want to stay with the same team. I want to build up the people. I'm building up my personal team now. I'm building up those around me because there are people who are leaving the scene that we've always looked up to. But the world still needs leaders. It needs voices. And yours has to come off mute. And when you do speak, you're going to get freedom and answers to other people. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what disabilities you have. I'm living proof that your only limitation is you. If you believe that it's over, if you think the time is up, if you think you're too old, if you think that there's something wrong with you, you will convince yourself to play it safe when you should. Keep going, man. You got to keep going. I promise you this, that before I give my last breath, I'm going to leave this earth with an empty shell because I'm going to pour everything I out every time I speak and every time I'm around you. And I leave a part of myself with you in that way. And you've got to keep doing the same. I'm honored to have been here. I'm looking forward to watching everyone's development, your impact, and your growth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've got nothing to say to add to that. You were spectacular. That was perfect. Oh, thank you, guys. And I mean, I think everybody knows how to find you and follow you. We're all in the same circle. And uh, and if you don't, contact me. I will connect you to Superman. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you, Louisa. For letting me come on. You were absolutely, you are absolutely remarkable. I could not have loved this moment even more. And it is so precious all of the time we get to spend together. Because, you know, the one area that you can't get back is time. So yeah. it's really the most important that you, everybody gave their time to be here. So I really know how valuable that is. And I appreciate all of you. Have the most beautiful night, y'all.